0: Hello, and welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and I do hope you're enjoying the interviews I've been sharing. The focus of this podcast is on the interesting and creative people of Austin, Texas. As always, my intention is to have meaningful and in-depth conversations that I hope will be of value to you, the listener. They certainly are to me. I really love doing these interviews, and hopefully we can all figure out together how to better connect and support our local art communities and create opportunities and success for ourselves through conversations like these. You might have noticed, unlike many other podcasts, this one has no sponsors. For me, it's a passion project that I create and produce 100% on my own every week. Please consider helping to support me and my continued efforts by becoming a patron of mine. Go to austinarttalk.com and click on the support tab to learn more. And if you really love an episode and have a feeling it might benefit someone else, please share it with them. It might be exactly what they need to hear. Thanks to those who follow and interact with me on Instagram, at Austin art Talk. That is by far my favorite social media platform. I post daily about local art events and try to support and share the work of previous podcast guests, along with other interesting people, art, and podcasts that I find which you might enjoy. On to the rest of the show. In this highly anticipated follow-up to my first interview with Deborah from March of 2018, we sit down to talk about all of the wonderful and sometimes challenging aspects of her amazing career over the last year and a half since we last spoke. From grants to residencies to gallery representation in Los Angeles and London, it has been a wild ride. But don't think she's an overnight success. Her work ethic and passion have carried her through over four decades of pursuing art to where she is now. As they say, luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Deborah shares how her work has been evolving and where it is headed, her studio practice, as well as giving us a peek into some ideas for her upcoming one-woman show at the Contemporary Austin a year from now. I think Deborah proves that hard work integrity and persistence can change your life and the lives of others in a positive way She's even planning to start a foundation to help other artists get the help that she so dearly needed to grow her career early on. If you haven't heard our first conversation that covers the history of her life and career before last year, have a listen to episode 19. Here is my conversation with Debra Roberts Well, Hey Debra, thanks for being on my podcast again
1: Thanks for having me
0: So we're in a different location. We did an interview a year and a half ago in your house, in a little tiny bedroom that used to be your studio, and now we're in a space at Canopy that's got to be like 10 times the size of that, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Feels like (laughs) it, at least. (laughs) So things have
0: changed a little bit in the last year and a half.
1: Yep. Finally came out of the bedroom Yeah, uh, and have a dedicated space for my, my work, which is amazing for me. Yeah. You know? Well, I've always had a dedicated space but I, I tell somebody I'm now um uh, building a house and for the first time in my adult life that I get the big room. The yeah. art always got the big room, I got the little room. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it gives the big room. So I get the big piece of chicken this time. So yeah. um so, it's really great to have separate spaces where there's just one little area i mean this one room is only dedicated to the art, which yeah. is great, so
0: and that just shows me how dedicated you are to your work, that you would sacrifice the biggest space for your studio, right, you know, yeah, yeah, and I think that when we met a year and a half ago and you were in that small space, you were talking about wanting to go bigger, right. And that couldn't have happened without being in this space. Right, right.
1: Yeah, uh, my studio mate, Betty, and I were looking for space that could house both of her. She just had lost her space at Palm Project, and I needed a space. And we were looking for a freestanding building, and um, we weren't able to find anything. And, you know, Austin... So they say. Yeah. So we were able to to get this open room and have someone come in and and separate the space and create studio space for her, studio space for myself, and it's been you know amazing so far, you know, which is which is good. I mean, I the work is get, gotten way larger. Yeah. Um, I remember um, having my show at Spelman and one of the uh, directors at the Smithsonian, and I was oh kind of bragging about that I was making a lot of work for my bedroom and she said that's not good and I remember my face like oh she's the first person who ever said that wasn't yeah. really good and saying that I need a room for the work to bloom to grow and become more than that room and she was right Yeah. so here we are just
0: even for your mind and your thoughts to be able to expand in this mm-hmm, space and mm-hmm. just right experiment yeah. and it's been great so do you remember where you i mean obviously you remember where you were a year and a half ago when we had our first interview right, right. Mm-hmm. what has happened since then like i mean i just a lot
1: right, right? a lot i have two new galleries um uh, one in london and one in los angeles i'm still in demand which is yeah. which is good um the work has gotten a lot larger, which I'm really happy for. And hopefully um, more complicated in ways that maybe not visually noticeable, hmm. but still there deep in yeah. uh, the work. I think my medium and the surfaces have changed since a year and a half ago, okay. which, which helped also navigate the work as I talk about um uh, race and gender.
2: Mm-hmm. Um
1: I've added boys to the yeah, work Yeah I was gonna
0: mention that you were gonna do yeah. that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And um, yeah, a slew of things. I'm still here in Austin that <laughs> yeah. and Jane. Yeah. So you're
0: in When before you were working mostly on paper, now you're on uh, more kind of like uh, wooden panels, right? Right. I
1: I do multi-surfaces, so I have panels, I have canvases, uh, and I still do paper. And those are my surfaces for the um, collages. Uh, I've delved a little bit into sculpture.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I definitely want to talk about
1: that. Yeah, I'm going to do some installation for an upcoming mm. Texas museum show, and maybe it's a little sound mixture in that. So
0: is that for the show that you're having in a year in the contem- at the contemporary? Yes, sir. Oh.
1: Yes, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. They told me they extended my date, so the show can't be a flop because you got to see it over and over and over again so so that's a lot of pressure too so yeah
0: yeah and i remember at the time when we did our first interview you were talking about starting to do more painting elements as a part of the collage to be even more mixed media with it and you did you've done that definitely yes mhm
2: yes mm-hmm.
1: you know i realized when especially when i went to canvas which is uh, its own allure, you know, because I'm a painter by nature. I chose to use the collage as a as a vehicle to talk about, the do. Du- I mean, the duality that I saw that exists in beauty, and then the challenge that monolithic idea of beauty. So the thing about working on the canvases is that you know it's very seductive. You know, canvas has been around f- and people painting for hundreds and thousands of years, yeah. and so when I get on to the canvas, it's like all of a sudden, I'm, you know, there's rules to painting that I'm trying to break rules that I was taught. I have to fight that a lot. And I had to just recently in the last two months say, look, these works have to be, you know, at least 65 percent collage. Hmm. And the rest has to be mixed media. I mean, I mean, painting and drawing because it was getting more painterly oh. than collage. And that couldn't happen. You know, yeah, it had to be the reverse, yeah, and i- I get caught, I have to watch it, I have to really concentrate on that,
0: Because yeah. there was a period of time when you uh, before you shifted into the type of work you're doing now, where you did do all painting,
1: right, mhm, yeah, I was just a um you know, just a regular painter like everyone else. And it was very, very good. And like I said, it was very seductive. It looked like Norman Rockwell, but, you know, but black people. Uh, but what I was seeing projected wasn't the same imagery I was painting. I was painting the black romantic. and yeah, Kind of
0: Americana. Right,
1: Americana. Yeah. And what was projected on TV was a horror story, the black mm-hmm. horror story. And I didn't think necessarily that was true. and And not everything I was painting was true. So the work developed from that. It grew from that.
0: Yeah. And, and why now do you feel like you have to have that sixty five percent collage aspect? Like what does that mean?
1: It's because I love the idea of this this flat surface with the work, this plane that is that exists on this one single surface. Um, collage helps me to use language In the faces, a different type of language, Uh, it allows uh, the work to, I guess, challenge things differently. Where there's times where I know I can paint that and I go ahead and collage it because I think that sometimes I don't need to put my hand there. I just need it to make that statement, that one statement.
0: Yeah, it's photographic imagery. Right, it's
1: photographic imagery. It's just... A flat surface. I don't know. I like... The, I, I'm looking at a piece while I'm talking, but yeah. I like the idea of this one little girl I'm, series I'm doing uh, this called um, That's Not Ladylike. And so I'm looking at her. Legs Around They're drawn. They're round. And they look like they could walk off the page. But her... The rest of her is so flat that she's stuck right there. Mm. One part can move away and the other is flat and dormant. I think that's how... You know things and and that deals with race in this country. There are certain things that are flat, never going to change. They just yeah. there, they're fixed. Yeah. But there are things that are moving away from it, and we think we're moving forward. But yet that that pull of that flatness that still, you know, tethers us to this past. It's locked. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think collage really works um, And having more of it than the the actual movement Because I think um, for a long while we thought we were moving forward And we know now that we really didn't move as far as we thought we did
0: Yeah, no kidding Yeah Could you share a little bit more about your transition to working with boys? Because before you were pretty exclusively just collaging Mm -hmm. girls, young girls from like age 8 to 10.
1: Yeah. Uh, Maybe I listened to my audience too much. Um, I remember I started going to shows and people started saying, when are you going to do boys? When are you going to do boys? And, you know, they're having different type of issues uh, Mm um than the girls were having but we are joined with by certain issues together and i said well i'm not gonna do it for a year and a half not gonna do it for a year and a half and i remember the last show i did at uh in california and i came home for the summer to you know stop doing shows but to start working pushing my practice I said, well, let's give these boys a chance. So I remember even the first three, and they would look like little babies, and it really wasn't defined what did I want to say in the work. And I knew that it was undeveloped, and I just kept pushing through it. I knew I need the summer to do that. I can't do that when everyone's screaming for artwork. Yeah, I look back on those works now, a year into it and they look so weak, you know, Mm. (laughs) you know, to me and looking at the works that I'm doing now, I mean, it's, they're finally, they're finally getting some traction. Um, I'm not a little boy. I never was a little boy. I'm not a man. So I don't know all the things. But when I know when you talk about toxic masculinity, this idea of having a voice and being black and being seen as a disciplinary problem instead of someone finding his voice as a young age. So the the the, the labels that are that are fixed to young black boys, the pre-criminal ideas. Yeah. It's very 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 real and so Mm. trying to talk about that that's the language that's the the path I've taken so I mean I I can't go to this idea of what it feels like to be a man but what I can do is talk about the labels that are put on young boys and how we have to fight those labels and those ideas of who they are so yeah, I really
0: I thought it was really powerful Dr. Sharice Smith's essay about that work that was at valmetter in los angeles Uh um she was talking about how with young black boys it's like you know the parents are are seeing their young boys just like this innocent being that they love but then they also have to view their child through this like she said veil of whiteness that's kind of a way that they have to imagine how the world will see them, and they right. have to prepare them for that world so that they don't get killed. Right. You know, or
1: have something happen to them. Right. And yeah. you got to give them to the talk. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. so unfortunate, but true. And I try to talk about that in the work, that some of the, the really large uh, canvases, the um, the ones that are over 100 inches, is that 120, is that when they are stopped or something, they're always put on the sidewalk. And especially if you're a young boy, they just make you fold your arms in front of yourself if you're older man they make you put your hands in the back so on top of your head or whatever so i talk about those things in my uh, work using children that they shouldn't have to go through this and yeah so i think that's very important and then um i've done work where uh little kids are Or like in these these poses where they're flexing their muscles, they're trying to be manly so early because people are not allowed to be sensitive or people might say you're soft Yeah, and um, working on a piece like that right now. There's multiple ways, I feel, as a woman to be a man and to be a young boy, but let them be that person and exist in that without any ideas and structures already leaped on them. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's important in the work with the little boys.
0: And that work, um, that show was Native Sons, Many Thousands Gone. You also referred to a lot of historical incidents where young black boys were killed because Mm -hmm. of supposed things that they did or Mm -hmm. that that they didn't end up doing. Right. Um, I'm thinking of the one piece you had the boy and the huge prison right uh, yeah
1: the george tenney works yeah yeah that's uh been very important to me and i i tell people when you hear people say something spoke to them or uh i I was like i had to do this work and i remember all the time i was like "Mm -hmm, yeah right i always thought it was hyperbole i didn't think that really happened until I was looking for some photos of Dr. King's booking photos and came across George Stenney. And I said, what is this little boy, you know, and what is he doing? So... I started to do some research and just Googled him and found out that he was accused of killing two little white girls and dragging their bodies. A 14-year-old. 14 year olds 100 pounds, didn't have shoes for a year, uh, dragging their bodies across a, a large field, uh, then going back, getting their bikes and taking them, no trauma on his feet, and who was arrested in three days, convicted in 10 minutes, and executed in 80 days total. And 70 years later, was exonerated, saying that it was no way he could have done that. Uh, his twin sister said, she kept saying he was with her, he was with her, but those girls died and someone had to pay for it, and, and it happened to be George. And I remember just reading that story and thinking about Tamir Rice and just how it just bothered me for days and weeks almost to where I said, okay, I'm going to do something. I never do faces of people I don't want to I want to do a bunch of found faces and I remember just printing the first one and putting it on the canvas and looking at him and saying okay all right I got to do this so I did three I said that's gonna get me through this I did three images and now I'm finally finally working on the very last one Hmm. Um, yeah because I mean now it's 8 uh, because I wanted to do one every 10 days that he, yeah. well, the 10 minutes, you know, and so I'm working on the final one. It was very important that these works be presented to the world. I think we should know about him the way we work, We know about Emmett Till. He was a beautiful little boy. Um, and you, if you look at his before and after photos, he had to be depressed. He had to know what is going on, what's happened to his life. He was only allowed to see his parents uh, maybe maybe twice. He was in prison with grown men.
2: Mm-hmm. He
1: had a uh, prison uniform that was for a man, not a little boy. I can only imagine, I can't even imagine what it was like. It did, hopefully, someone took him under their wing and protected him while he was in that prison. I'm really happy that uh, four of the works are going into public collections, uh, which is important. Um, I'm keeping one. And the other. And unfortunately, went to private homes, which I had hoped that all of them would go into public collections. Yeah, uh, I have to be better as an artist in demanding where my work goes. Mm. I do know that, and it was just a lesson. This was my lesson because, like I said, it was so important that people know his story, and you can't necessarily do that in someone's private home. I mean, he's not a cocktail story. This is someone's life, you know. Mm. And um, I'm happy that um, one of the largest pieces is going to go to the National Portrait Gallery in DC. It's going to travel as part of the uh competition. So for two years, so it will be shown there. Yeah. Which is really important to me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. How does that make you feel imagining that like thousands, tens of thousands of people are going to learn about his story because you so made this piece?
1: I'm so happy. I think people should know about him. I mean, he was in, I'm I'm not even saying he was in the wrong place at the right. I mean, he was just there. He aided in the search. Somehow switched to he was the person. I don't want to get this wrong, but I think it was him and his brother. But a white man said that the brother was with him. He worked for him. So So that freed one of the brothers. That freed the brother. And then George became this total person. And it's it's the same way with when you think about Tamir Rice, and I think, is that he was a twelve-year-old kid holding a water pistol. The police instantaneously thought he was older. They drove up on him. They didn't give him any commands. They literally shot him. Mm. I think it was in between two to three seconds of arriving on the scene. They didn't give him a chance to to follow commands to drop weapon and. To get on your knees and i remember listening to some of the uh reading some of the the news reports that they thought he was older i don't know
0: even if he was older he still deserved a chance i know,
1: know i know waving a water pistol and they thought he was brandishing a gun i don't know
0: yeah and you did a piece about that too
1: uh i didn't do any tamir rice work um
0: but there was a piece in that show with a boy with a water gun, though. Oh
1: yes, 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 yeah, I did. Yeah, with bullets, a uh, uh, foam, a uh, foam. You know those things that shoot yeah. the foam, and and the, the bullets were red, white, and blue because this is idea of an, how America sees you know young black boys, and yeah, I did.
0: So how are you saying then that this work with boys, looking back, seems weaker than what you're doing now?
1: Now. It, at that time, I mean, it was a year ago. I just did that show in May of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, the first ones, you know, just like anything being born, it's it's dirty, it's messy, yeah, it, yeah. it's it hadn't formed yet. Yeah. It, it, it you know it's just it's just a thought, mm-hmm. you know, and then it has to be developed. It has to you know go to this uh, maturation process of growing and and coming out to something whole. Now the girls, I can get to the girls easier. I can get to what I need to say in them because of the years of working, you know, through all that stuff. Uh, The boys are so very new. They're, you know, just barely a year old. And the work is getting stronger finally, to me, Mm. as as a person who is critiquing it, you know.
0: What do you feel like is getting clarified in the work or... Personally, that makes it stronger.
1: I think that like in the current piece I'm working on, where I have two uh, boys, they're in a more subdued pose. They have pink shirts on. Um, the hands are crossed. I mean, one is in the pocket, one is is craft is holding his other hand, and then alongside, one face comes into the light, and one is in half light, half darkness, and then this big, huge fish. Is right behind him. So it's the dove and the hawk that appears and both things that I think that boys are asked to be at an early age. Oh, don't cry. Don't do this. I mean, you know, you're a sissy. You do this, blah, blah, blah. And and it's like you always have to work through this masculinity thing.
2: Mm. So
1: I think working more subtle with those things helps the work grow instead of having it like straight in your face. I mean, making a male, I found that also, too, is doing a fist on a woman reads differently doing a fist on a man. A fist on a man is very aggressive. It's very, uh, I mean, dangerous even. A fist on a woman is power. It's that she's asserting her femininity in a way that she hasn't before. It's two totally different reads on black people. And so I think that also has to do with just any male and female. But I know that the men read differently. I've been told and I know that um, in this piece, I needed that masculinity that fits to to anchor that work. You know, that was part of it. And then it's not even the faces of the kid. It's the pink shirts. Mm-hmm. The pink shirt is what I'm really asking you to look at, not other stuff. That is, I hope, the subtlety of, of what I'm talking about. I asked a friend, um, I guess a couple months ago, was was that getting through? Was what I was talking about, what I'm saying, is it so cloaked that people can't see that stuff and they just see the palatable stuff of a little girl and a little boy with colorful clothes and no shoes on? Mm-hmm. Do they see all the other Subtle things that I'm talking about as far as race and gender and and our place in America history. Do they see those things? Is it being lost and me trying not to knock you in the head with it? You know, and she assured me that it's not. So I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is I just explained it. But I hope people see that. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about two little boys, just two little boys. I'm talking about masculinity. And and there's toxic masculinity. Yeah. And uh it's okay to wear pink shirts, you know. So and to be softer. Doesn't mean that you are gay or or and it's nothing wrong if you are, but you shouldn't be labeled as something, you know, because of that.
0: So. Or weak or right. feminine or
1: Right, exactly. Exactly. So mm-hmm. so I'm and that's that, a piece
0: that you're working on right now. That's like, a piece as I'm working on. we sit here.
1: Yeah, yeah. Trying to finish it up.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, also, I already mentioned the Native Sons exhibition that you had in L.A. Included in that work, uh, in that ex- exhibition, were these pieces with these vices with books in them. Maybe, could you talk about that work? Right. that's like a sculptural work.
1: Right. That's a sculptural piece that that still stands from George Stenney. It's a... Um, you know, one of the things, one of the uh, goals I have is to talk about things, to try to create new pathways to talk about things. Um, I, t- I talked about George Stinney, but I did a cranking me- mechanism because the fact that he was so little and couldn't sit on the electric chair, they had to pop Bibles on top to get him to kill him. Yeah, yeah. They piled Bibles to kill him. So, So the idea of being cranked up, you know, lifted up by Bibles— to be murdered and so I did this whole jacking system and and I remember putting Native Sons and Invisible Man I was using black literature to talk to speak to this idea of trying to be seen and present and and then I have a big foot at the bottom and a, and, a, and a sculpture box a pedestal which black kids are never really put on pedestals um, So so literature plays an enormous part in my practice so that was important in in the work. And moving also moving to work, having multiple channels to talk about these things and that's why um installation is ahead. I mean people may tell me, Deborah, get back in your lane, you're out of your lane but I, I think that you have to make these these leaps to talk about work differently. Mm. And I'm ever Uh, trying to grow my practice. I'm not going to be satisfied with, you know, the status quo. I mean, I think the work has to move. It has to move forward. It has to continue to grow. Right now, I have so many people who want the work. I can produce this work for another three years and not change a thing about it. But that's not my goal as an artist. I'm not happy with just... Doing this, I make a lot of mistakes in the work that I want to work through. I think that's not better, but the alternative ways of of pushing the dialogue. I'm trying to get people to see the humanity first in the work. I don't know if that's being actually seen. So so there's lots of work to be done. Just figuring out different ways to do it. You know. yep.
0: I mean, that makes me think of our first interview Interview, you were talking about when you decided to move away from strictly painting and the romantic Americana work and you started doing collage. You said a, you got a lot of pushback from right, that. Right, right. And you you persevered through that. Right. And people doubted you and yep, still you were do. all alone with it for yeah. years just yep. doing it on your own. Exactly. And you now you are where you are.
1: Right. Um,
0: and, and then, you, But you have to, like you said, you have to have... What I'm seeing is, like, the integrity and passion and courage that you have to, like, persevere. No matter what people say, like, you have to stay true to yourself. That's
1: right. I'm an artist, and I'm going to grow my work. Um, one of the reasons why I, I moved forward away from uh, my New York gallery was because I really felt like I kept saying the work needs to grow. It's something, I'm, I don't know if I'm doing the same work over and over. I mean, that first year was so unbelievable. Mm. It was so unbelievable, I didn't even believe it was happening to me. So I knew if I could just make it to the summer, I could kind of find my footing. And uh, because I'm an artist who have existed in the art world, not this art world, I promise you, not this art world, I know that the summer things slow down tremendously. Mm. And so I figured that I could catch my, my balance. And I feel like the first year I was chasing the art car, art world car. Uh, The second year, 2018, I made it to the door of the car. Hmm. And in 2019, I feel like I'm sitting in the car and hopefully next year I can be driving the car. Oh wow. And that's my goal is to be able to drive the car. <laughs> to I mean at least I'm not running behind it. That's that's the best one. Yeah. <laughs> that was rough. So But yeah, like
0: you, I think you've mentioned this in another interview. You want to control the narrative. I want to you don't want to be like pushed around by everybody. Right.
1: I am. Again I'm a talk, I mean Amy Cheryl and I talk talk about this stuff and she's, we have to take control of it. And, uh, um, somehow, and I ideals have to come forward. Because if not, we're just gonna work ourselves to death. I mean, we're just gonna constantly be working and trying not to offend or to disappoint or to come off cocky or arrogant or all the adjectives that you might think and stay true to yourself and who you originally are. I mean this is me, you know. Uh, you know, I got a shag hair day. <laughs> <laughs> move to my hair today. And I was like, oh my God. We were like, what is happening with the Deborah <laughs> and, uh So I was like, oh my God. It's so but you know, and that's a reason for that too. Uh but it's like you know, trying to keep the work earnest and, and be earnest yourself uh is very important. And so I'm gonna segue into that, yeah. that three that three thing we yeah, talked please. about. Um you know, I was thinking after talking with someone last night, um the three worst things um about you know, they're not worse. I guess that's a first world issue. But the three difficult things that yeah. I've had to um, answer questions were, the first one was, um, uh, why do you have so many people working for you? Yeah, um, working And they don't work for me. They work with me. All of them have master's degrees. I have people who, I'm a middle-aged woman, who all of a sudden have, you know, an international audience and an American people people who are art world people who are looking at my work who've never looked at it before and wanting it and I I think is more epic for anyone to think that I can produce all this work like I did before on my own just sewing making frames you know yeah. cleaning the work putting down the images painting do all the all the collaging f- researching all of this stuff and Have one other person working with me. It is just physically impossible. Yeah, and I think when people ask that question, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if it comes from someone who's never had this type of well. I know there's not a lot of people who had this kind of attention, but who's never had you know. I don't know. I don't know. Is it a way? I don't know. I I keep trying to figure it out. Um, How do they expect? for you to do all this work on your own. I mean, you just can't do it. And it doesn't devalue the work because any of my girls will tell you, they don't do any of the collages. They don't do any of the faces. When they come to work, it's already sketched up on the canvases. I write what color everything's supposed to be, everything. They block in color. They don't do the legs. They don't do... And they literally, they gesso, clean, and black and color. That's it. I yeah. do the rest. And 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 I shouldn't even be doing the stuff that I'm doing, but I, I'm not I'm too much a control freak to let them start working on my legs. I mean, I know what they need to look like, and I'm going to do it. The second thing that I hate most is people say, you can't keep up this level of the work.
2: Hmm.
1: Which I was like... What? Yeah. And I was like, why would you say that? I have worked my whole life for this and all of a sudden after all the stuff I've done I'm going to literally say "Mm, you know I'm going to just toss it in today. (laughs) Yeah I'm not I'm not going to spend I'm not going to get up at six in the morning or and and think about this work or come into my studio I'm not going to at night get my iPad and start working on trying to figure out if this look good you know I'm just going to stop doing all of that. And I think as long as I talk about identity, politic, in the way of race and gender and history, I'm going to have so much field to plow. Yeah. I have miles and miles and miles and of stuff to talk about. That is no way that the work would ever lose its intensity. If you're talking about history of blackness in America, yeah. it just can't do it. You can't do it. It's infinite. And and it's so much more, and it's growing daily. Um, just recently, I saw an article that says about four hundred black women have been missing in the last, you know, two or three years. I said four hundred, and no one's talking about this. And then they listed twenty five names of women only in the last four months. Why don't we hear about this? Only we so you know, caught up in politics right now that no one's talking about this. So I'm gonna talk about this, about disappearance, mm-hmm. about absence and these names. And it goes along with the text that I'm working on because the names are not Sally and Brooke and Apple. They're Tanisha, they're LaQuisha they're you know, they don't get the national media attention. So yeah, believe me. There's a lot to work to grow. The intensity in my work is not going to go down.
0: And your work ethic isn't just going to disappear. The work ethic that got you where you are.
1: Right. Why
0: would that just go away?
1: I don't know. (laughs) I I keep telling people, you know, when I did Volta, the reason why I think it was, I'm hoping that the reason why it was successful is that I prepared for it. I didn't know that it was going to go boom like that. I just knew that when I did the work for that show, I left work at my studio. I didn't, like, take everything. I mean, I didn't have to, like, work so hard and I had taken it to the to the show and there was nothing left at the studio. That meant I had been working for months. So I had plenty of work. I had plenty of work still left in Art Palace. And so when we went... We sold out the stuff we had at the um, at the affair. We sold out the stuff that was in Art Palace. And we sold out the things that were in my studio because I was prepared for that. And the same way with the work uh, that I'm doing now, I told both my galleries, look, I'm working on inventory. I mean, we cannot sell everything I do. We have to have some inventory. And so I'm trying to... To, to work on things like that and, and take my time. And now because I have major, major institutions which I thought would never ever want my work, looking and buying my work, it has to be the best I can do. Yeah. And I can't just constantly be this manufacturer, this little laundry line that's putting out work. Assembly you know? line, yes. factory. Yes. So, yeah. so, um, so that's important. And the other thing I think that I don't know why people say is that I should somehow allow certain people only to have the work and not, you know, you need to be. I agree that you have to be in the best collections, but there are certain places that this work needs to be. Yeah, they need to be there. And if it means not letting a major, 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 major international person have the work, so that it can go to a place where you need the work to be seen, that you know these kids or people need to see this work, I'm going to do it all the time. Yeah. I mean, sorry, not sorry. That's my new thing. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So, so those are my my three pet peeves right now. Mm-hmm. Uh. The three amazing things that have happened is that I get to meet people I never thought I would ever meet. I get to be I'm allowed to pay my rent and my bills and without that horrible night's sleep of, will I be able to meet my bills this yeah, month, yeah. Uh, or figuring out on a piece of paper I, I what I used to do when I couldn't sleep, and I was just wrestling with it so bad i would wake up and if i couldn't figure out how i was gonna pay it i I would be up all night but once i was able to say okay borrow from this person sell the hock this right here you can probably get this amount you know go go do this you know if you do this right here if you could get this collect collected then okay you're there you have the rent Mm -hmm. and okay now i can rest okay now i can go to sleep because i figured it out and not to have that anymore is is a godsend that is a mm. true blessing um
0: and you got your first taste of that when you had your pollock krasner
1: right that was it. your year yeah that was it, it was like, i no, think going that back yeah that that have to work bloom it, it was i was working now for the art and not for oh maybe you shouldn't put this right here because you you might mess it up you know right now it looks good this won't sell if you if you put that there and you know or you might mess it up which is very you know that was my thing uh that don't put that there now i remember i i so clearly um when i was working and i said hmm should i put that there Oh hell yeah! And I would glue it and glue it down, and it worked. So working in that space, that rhythm, that that feeling, that helped the work. That was it. That helped the work grow because I, I wasn't working, you know, in that fear part. I was in the creative part of it, and that's so important to get to.
0: Do you feel like you're still in that, or do you have like different pressures uh, now? That oh hell could- yeah, I'm
1: still. In, I won't let them do that to okay, me. Okay, okay. I mean, I I see art that's not changing. Yeah. I see it from artists who are having a lot of success. the work isn 't changing it 's mm-hmm. the same work it 's the same work for five years it 's not changing it 's not growing it 's it 's not going to happen to me i 'm going to continue to push my work forward whether' it 's what i 'm always the work has always come first I mean it has to be the work because it 's no good if it 's not and that 's my philosophy i don 't i don't push it on anyone else that's just always been my thing is that the work had to do what it needed to do, and I remember that summer in two thousand and nine when i did, I said that i'm gonna give it the summer to see if the work what this work is doing it was changing. I was pushing it back, and I had people telling me, why are you pushing it back? No, it wasn't excuse me it wasn't two thousand nine it was two thousand seven, maybe even earlier than that and they said, why are you changing? I could see the work was fracturing. It was coming out of the Rockwell, and I would push it back down. And I remember when I did the Awesome Business Journal cover, and uh, they wanted do uh, the work yeah. I did. And I did this very fractured piece, and I said, you know what? Something is happening in my practice. And then I did a lot of bad work after that. I mean, it was horrendous. And it was it was changing. It was me fitting um, Elephant in a pinhole. And it had to crunch. It had to break. It had to fail. It had to be horrible. It had to be some light. It had to be some loss. And it had to be some growth. Mm. And I finally got it through that pinhole. And I came out on the other side with very different type of work. That really speaks the same language only by a different form. it allowed me to speak to a broader audience than I had before and not only did it challenge me but it challenged the people who were looking at the work so it's really hard sometimes when you have to do that, but I did, and it's not it's not anything great it's not that any it's not anything special I think you know hundreds of artists have done this in the past it's not anything to applaud about it's just what the work needed in order to grow and mm-hmm. I did it and the people who were around me at that time that I see their work now is the exact same work they've always did and it's that fear of changing that really planted them mm-hmm. in one space and that was their choice and we are now light years away from each other. Yeah. You know, from what I'm doing to what they're doing. I don't fault them for that. I mean, uh, we all make our choices. I make mine, and I'm, and I'm happy that I did.
0: Do you not? feel that fear of changing or going through like a period of experimentation where the work all sucks now that you have so many eyes on you? I mean, would that oh, not yeah. be harder to do now? Oh,
1: hell yeah. It's harder to do. <laughs> are you kidding me? I, I, How I, are I you really, going to do that? I'm trying to tell my dealers. I, I told Stephen Freeman and I told Suzanne Velmeter. I was telling them, I said, look out because it's fracturing. I could, I could see it in some hmm. of those smaller collages I was doing. I didn't try to do it. I saw it happening. Yes. I see it in some of the works that I'm doing now, but I was so exhausted this summer hmm. um, coming off two major shows. I, I tell them really three because Stephen Freeman had me in two spaces and Suzanne had me in the smaller space, but it was still a major show. And so by the time I got through it, I was just too exhausted to push the work. But I see it in some of the works now. So hopefully... It when i take this year to prepare for the contemporary show you'll see a little bit more fracturing of the the images so they're not whole pieces mm. because we're not really a whole we are we are series of pieces put together to form a human and i want to experiment with that yeah yeah
0: did you finish your list of the three positive things uh, i think you just said the first one maybe
1: well i felt well i think or- um, well, I guess the second one is the growth part of it. Um, the positive thing is that I can pay all my bills.
0: Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> pay that's my
1: right. bills, which is really tough. Uh, I guess I can uh, eventually, I think the most positive thing is that I'm going to start a foundation pretty soon oh. for artists once uh, I'm done building. I mean, my house yeah. and uh, paying my student loans, yeah. uh, which it all would be in the next year and a half. I'm going to create a foundation that's going to be giving grants to artists who are um, going to have to write a letter or something to. Uh, I'm going to have a board of three or four people, and this would be money that they don't have to pay back. It would be money to help push their work through. I think that people should be applying for the Polycraftsman because it is a wonderful grant opportunity. Uh, but I know very well that going to the Black Artist Retreat, having a Krasner, having a lot of people to to be able to, to go places and get things done without, you know, totally destroying your life and living on the street uh, is important. And so my foundation will be uh, where people can write me and apply for a grant and spell it out. That would be a cap on it because, you know, yeah. I'm not a multimillionaire. So yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but I want to uh I want them to be able to write me and say I need ten thousand dollars. Mm. This is why. I need to be able to do blah 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 blah. And I will take it to the let me see some work, it's the application process, have the four people look at it, prove it you know, we cast a vote whether we should give this person money, and if we agree give it a money, then it's their money. We don't care what you do. I, I mean, I don't want to see somebody riding around in a new car after I give them the money, <laughs> walking around with a Louis Vuitton bag. You yeah, know, yeah. but if they ask and it's something, because there are so so many people, just just need. Just a little bit. Yeah. A little bit of help to get to that boom next level. Mm-hmm. And if I can help with that, because I needed it so I ain't needed it. And if I can help with that, it would be my pleasure. Mm-hmm. So that's ahead.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So you like paint it forward or paint it backward or however mm-hmm. you want to look at it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Cause I, I always feel like that's um Amy asked uh she said, Do you consider yourself a late bloomer? I said, Nope. I just felt like no one knew about me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> if people knew about me, I wouldn't have been a late bloomer. But I don't consider myself a late bloomer. I just said people just didn't know about me and yeah. what I was doing. And now that they do, I'm happy. You know.
0: I think that happens a lot with actors, too. Sometimes someone will be acting for decades. Right. And then all of a sudden they're in a a famous movie and everyone's like, oh, Overnight Success or something. And it's like, no. They've been working for decades and decades.
1: Yeah, working in the margins and trying to to scratch out a life and a career. Mm -hmm.
0: I mean... what, you've been doing art for over 40 years yeah. now, right? I'm yeah,
1: a- yeah. Yeah, because I started in the third grade. Everybody, I started in the third grade, not in, a, <laughs> in the 23rd grade. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, Betty always tell me, she said, this is no overnight. Yeah, because I, I, I'm i so happy to have Betty as my, my studio mate because she can uh, get my head on straight because – a lot of times I think that because it's so overwhelming, it doesn't yeah. seem real. And she said, hell, it's real. You work for it. You've been working for this for a very long time. Yeah. It just didn't happen. It's just because two and a half years ago you went to Volta and right. people saw your work. You've been working for this a lot longer than that. And that's so true. And it's helped me out tremendously to to kind of think of it in those terms because – like I said last time I felt like I was in a coma. Mm. And in any minute my sister's gonna pinch me out of it and I'm like What happened? What happened? Did that didn't happen? Did Can that you really be happen? back in your little studio. I'd be back in bedroom. my <laughs> little bedroom regularly <laughs> little eight by tens, you know, uh trying to figure out, scratch out how I'm gonna ask somebody for a loan. Mm-hmm. That's the worst thing. I don't take it for granted. I am so, so very grateful.
2: Yeah. I'm
0: glad to hear that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah.
0: So when before we started recording, you were talking about how hard you've been working, how hard this has been on you physically and mentally. Like, mm-hmm. could you share a little bit more about that? I, I just feel like people should know. Like, this is not
2: it's,
1: easy. I, I know. That's what I always say. When when people always kind of make me feel like somehow I'm um, a bad or something. I think that they don't understand how many requests you get, both on social media and emails. I don't think that they understand that if you go to an opening, so many collectors are around you. I don't think they understand that the man, having not had any money for years on end, not knowing if this has worked out, and all of a sudden, So many people want you. You feel like I got to, I got to feel this demand. I mean, this this might go away tomorrow. So if if everybody wants this attention right, they want this work right now. I got to produce as much as I can so they can sell as much as they can so I can keep it going. You know, or are people gonna forget about me next month? I think people don't realize the amount of pressure. And again, I would go back with (laughs) Amy, Cheryl. We appreciate it. We're not complaining. It's just it's a lot. And the other side of this is no one caring about your work. And we don't want that. We're happy that this stuff is happening to us. But people need to also understand that it can be overwhelming and a lot of pressure. And, um, and, and working through that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And dealing with that stress right. in a healthy way.
1: In a healthy way, yeah. Yeah. And, and, find, and carving that time for yourself. Self care things, um, and I, one of the things that I talk to uh, both Genevieve and uh, Amy about is that are you taking time? Like I was massage every other week. Yeah, I stopped doing it, but I got to get back to it. But yeah. I massage every week, just I'm just trying to, you know, just carve out some time to to take care of yourself. You yeah. know, and uh, that's important. I think.
0: I mean, how many hours do you think you work a week on your art?
1: Oh God, I mean. I don't even want to add it up because I think (laughs) I think I'll be sick if I do (laughs) I work on it a lot and not working on it thinking about it because uh, I remember Saturday when I put down uh, that drawing and I was saying okay what's the next ones you gonna do when the the new campuses come on Wednesday and I was like I don't know. So I got on the computer and started doing work. Yeah. And I hadn't even finished. So you just move from one part of it to the next. So it may not be the physical work of doing it, but it's the mental work of doing it. So.
0: Yeah, you're always thinking about it.
1: You're always thinking about it.
0: Well, speaking of taking some time to yourself, like maybe you could share about your Rauschenberg residency. I mean, well, that's like totally. Yeah. Taking time for yourself, I right? Know. I mean you're still working, but right? it's like no distractions. You don't
1: you don't have to work. That's the great oh, thing. Okay. They ask you to do whatever makes you feel comfortable while you're there. Oh wow. But they have so many things in the facility that you want to work because it's everything at your fingertips. Yeah. And if it's not there, it'll be brought to you. I remember the first week when all to and myself and we were thinking, we were talking about like, this is not real. You know, and Martine Sands, we were all there, and we were like, this not real. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was like we had a chef who was cooking us food, and it was great. So, you, and then I got a lot of rest. I couldn't believe it, I would go to bed you know, like 9.30 and sleep all and then wake up about 5 and then sleep to 10. I mean, it's like, nice. it was so great. It was like,
2: <laughs> boom, this ain't
1: re- And then all of a sudden, you know, um, my, my sweet mate was um, a, a writer and she worked at Barbara Gladstone in New York. And she said, "Deborah, I said, you know, I got to get back to work. She said, take another week and I'll get you back to work. I know how to get artists. You know, she, she takes care of, Four or five artists at Barbara's place, and so I started, you know, going into the second week. And she said, "Okay, well, it's time to get to work." All right. and it was great. She, what are you thinking about doing? So we started talking about the work and how that process and how that was going to go. And before you knew it, I was working again. But it is a wonderful place, and if you ever get invited, go. Yeah. I mean, don't. I don't know about hurricane season. I wouldn't go then. But, but it's
0: a beautiful setting. Oh right? my!
1: Oh. Rosenberg that man he made a compound all the houses are wonderful i think there are four five houses that that house artists uh normally two two to two to two to three people in the house mm-hmm. and 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 then you have a chef that's in residency. It's just, and the staff is amazing. And they talk to you, you know, if you need anything or if, if people are unfair to you in the, city, in, in, in the community, let us know. You know, we're a big group here. And it's just, it was just wonderful. I loved it. Mm. Yeah.
0: Where is it and how long is it?
1: It's in Captiva and it's about six weeks. Wow. Um, it's great. So it's what great. was that
0: second four weeks like? What kind of? Did your work evolve at all, or did anything interesting happen
1: with no, that space? I'm, well, I mean, one well, of the things I thought that happened, um, my work, I'm trying to get away from stripes. I've been calling it a stripe loop. I think for me, I have I found different ways of applying the collages, of printing the collages. Um, I also got some ideas for new text-based work. I needed that quiet, that stillness. Mm. Um it was so funny because I remember when um, I only had about a week and a half left and my one of my galleries posted on Instagram, uh, I had posted some work and they reposted and said, oh, she has a week and a half left. And it was like, don't tell all these people I have a week and a half left. I mean, can I enjoy it? And I remember getting really you know yeah. really grouchy and needed a snicker bar so I wouldn't turn into Aretha Franklin and uh, or the Hulk and it was like because you just
0: knew people would be waiting for they're you they're
1: waiting and waiting to ask and do and what do you have and can I buy this and how much is that and you know so mm-hmm. but it, it was amazing that's the, that's the best residency I've ever been at Mm. yeah it was great marvelous yeah hmm.
0: So now you're you're in your new studio for how long now?
1: Been- I've we've been here we're starting we got it's a year in June. So we're starting on our second year.
0: Mm-hmm. And you have now you have a studio assistant?
1: I have a or- couple of I have a couple of assistants and a studio manager.
0: Studio manager. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And, and and she is supposed to handle um, all the emails and all the inquiries and and try to make my life better.
0: So you can focus on what you okay. need to do. Yeah. What yeah. you're best at.
1: Yeah, 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 because I'm a pushover. When people ask me for stuff, I just, oh, let me see if I can make it work for you. As I talked about earlier, be able to say no and not feel guilty
2: mm-hmm. and yeah.
1: ungrateful. So I think having someone, when you train them right and they start to function like they're supposed to, uh, they would be the person to tell people no and i don't even have to hear about it you know i just yeah it happens you know yeah,
0: yeah. so you get a little bit more insulated so you can really mm-hmm. just be in the space of the work
1: right right mm-hmm. right nice mm-hmm.
0: yeah i know like in your last uh in our last interview you said you got to have your secrets but i'm just kind of curious if you could share anything about this contemporary show about these installations that just really interests me to th- to try to imagine what you're thinking as far as that goes mm-hmm. or just what the future looks like in general I mean I know that's right. something in the future next year but just like how do you see things moving forward or how how do you want them to move forward and progress mm-hmm. you know like with your career
1: yeah one of the things that, that I'm hoping to um, have in a contemporary show is I want to create a space where people can actually be a part And feel like what it's like to feel in the black body. Mm. And sit in that space and feel that. And be alone with whatever information, baggage, ideas, structure, life that you bring into that space. You bring in that in and you have to, you know, unpack it in that room alone.
2: Mm. That's
1: what I'm trying to create. Yeah. I don't know if I'll be able to do it, but I'm going to try.
0: I want to be um, in that. I want to see. It's I want to feel that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's going to be... I'm hoping it'll be very moving. So that's one of the things I'm working toward at the Contemporary Show. And and creating uh, some of these collages where they interact with the audience in a more heroic way, of being larger and more focused in on. So, um, Yeah. Yeah, and I'm also. Well, I don't want to say it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, however yeah. yeah. I'm doing this, this, and this, and this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm. I'm hoping it's very uh, humbling and very uh, informative uh, exhibition. Mm-hmm. Everybody, I think should come in and and be challenged by your own ideas whether you're black white, brown or pink Mm. and yellow because you know blackness we have this idea especially when it comes to what people consider ghetto sounding black names and Mm -hmm. what I even when I first started doing my project I remember laughing and joking and so many jokes about these names and maybe we need to be educated a little bit more that these names are just a part of American history as any other names and the economy is part of our culture it's the pop culture subculture of America culture so Mm -hmm. I'm hoping it's a little bit for everybody and I I try not to get preachy in my work and I don't think this will be I I think it's going to be like the millennials say an experience yeah that sometimes we need to have an experience and I'm hoping that my um, exhibition is to be an experience in, in otherness you know
0: yeah why not be preachy? I mean, you obviously have things that you care about, that you feel, that you've experienced in your life, that you want people to understand.
1: I know, but it's just sometimes people don't want to hear it. And sometimes you're you're speaking to the choir. Some people have heard it all before. But sometimes you don't know that you recognize a song until you close your eyes and follow the melody. And it might be something new that you haven't heard before. So I don't want to be like in my work in my collages I'm not trying to yell at you I'm asking you to that I'm I got something that I need you to absorb and I'm gonna put a little honey on the end of it and spoon it to you yeah. and hopefully
2: oh. in the
1: process of you taking this medicine you'll see oh wow he's like I didn't know that was in that piece oh oh okay so you got medicine I've opened your eyes and try to heal you a little bit yeah yeah.
0: That's a good mission.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We I come from a family of preachers. Yeah. So I know we, we use humor to get our word across. So we'll see.
0: Well, is there anything else at the end here that you want to say or talk about or share with people or leave people with? I mean, whether it be just like the general public or other artists or people in Austin or anything that you want to...
1: Well, um... No, not really um, you know I'm a part of the city. I am uh Austin-based artist and I try to uh try to stay engaged but not always, you know, cuz I don't go to a lot of openings. But, you know, I'm all I would like to think that I'm open to talking with people, um, I know I flag. I mean, I, that's one of, one of the great reasons I'm glad we're having this discussion because I know there's um, I two artists that uh, in Austin who have reached out to me and and I, you know, when I get the emails, I flag. Them. I said, okay, I got to talk to this person, and it may take me like four or five months if I get caught up in a in a warp. I mean, like yeah. a time warp. Right now, is just of time suck.
2: Yeah, and
1: yeah. and I want to really talk to them and and share some of the things that have happened to me and so I think that it's only a few weeks and then I look back and it's a few months and I get Mm. embarrassed and then I said okay we'll still reach out to them when you know you have time so uh, unfortunately right now I'm getting ready into a very 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 busy time I'm going to be going to New York at least three more times. I have the, the Hirshhorn Gala. I have the, the National Portrait Gallery. I had to go to Tennessee and I had to go to Orlando all before November 15th. Whoa. Yes. A lot. But I, I do want to be accessible, um, as an artist and, and just let people know that when I go home and I, I'm so exhausted and that's why I don't do a lot of things that I would like to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I always tell people I don't like to turn middle-aged, but this all happened. I mean, thank God I wasn't 80 when it happened. I don't yeah. know what happened. <laughs> Me and my wheelchair scooting, going around trying to get to things. Yeah. And, and my little walker. Uh, but, um, you know, it's just getting a hold of it. And it takes a while to get a hold mm. of it. I always tell people, I wish this would happen to you. I mean, mm. not in a bad way, but I want this to happen. So I think the more this happened to people that they understand i mean this is intense yeah this is intense yeah 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 wow yeah it's intense <laughs> all right yeah
0: well, you can handle it though right yeah
1: i'm handling it i'm handling it
0: so let's quickly then here for anyone that hears this before these events happen on the 4th at the carver Museum, you're having a book release. Could right. Can you te- tell us about that?
1: hmm I've been doing my catalog, my Spelman catalog, which is um, works from 2016 to 2018. Okay. And uh, it's a collection of essays about my work and a uh, lots and lots of art pieces and that's in the uh, book. And uh, What is you know, that called? Uh, the Miseducation of Mimi. And, and you can uh, actually get that on Amazon. You can get it on Amazon or you can come to the event. We have books available for sale. Yeah. Um, assign them. Uh, we have a lot of good food. Uh, make sure of that. Um, no alcohol because, you know, you can't, in the city facility, yeah. you can't have alcohol. But um, I'm hoping a good time held by all, you know. Yeah. So we have a limited amount of books, but you're right. You can get them on Amazon if you want.
0: Yeah. Um. But. You're probably not selling selling them yourself, right? No,
1: I'm not selling them. <laughs> <laughs> so don't ask yeah. Deborah
2: for a book. <laughs> no, I don't have any books.
1: There will be somebody there with a table. You can buy books from them. Get in line, and I'll sign it. Okay. And the art galleries at Christian Green, and you know, you know University of Texas, they're they're uh, supplying bags for the books, nice. which is great. You know, the Carver Museum staff and all those people have been great. We have the African-American Book Festival, who is one of the co-hosts. They'll be selling the books. Uh, We have uh, Spellman, a museum. The director will be there. Hmm. So it's going to be a good day.
0: What does this mean to you to have this book? Like, what does this mean to you?
1: Well, I mean, I never, you know, like, again, it's the first. It's the first book. I never thought this was going to happen. It feels great to um, look at and have these amazing writers write about your work and your practice and what it meant, what the work means to them. And as they move move it out into the world, uh, it's, it's been just very humbling.
0: Does it feel like a milestone, or was that something you always wanted? Like, I want a book, or is that
1: I wanted to be in a Whitty. Oh yeah, that's my milestone. I, <laughs> okay. mean, I wasn't even thinking about literature or books. I mean, I love books and stuff, but you know, my I mean, my my goals are different. I have those goal girl goals. Uh, I will tell the world whoever listens, I want to make author. That's one of my goals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why not? Yeah. Not why why not really want the top thing out there why not want to be in the Metropolitan Museum of Art or, uh, or the uh, Museum of Modern Art or any other place mm-hmm. I mean have goals and have reachable goals and just keep doing your work I always keep saying that I mean you never know what's going to happen you just got to keep working at it
0: yeah And then on the 8th of October, you're having a talk at the Blanton. What's that? Tell me
1: the details that. uh, Me and Robert Pruitt are going to be talking about Charles White and our practice and how it has intersected, uh, how Charles White has influenced a a number, amount of uh, African-American artists, not just African-American artists, just artists in general, and how his handwork and his, his beautifully rendered images of black America and and what it felt like to be—I mean, he is a literally his work is a is a documentation from 1970, I guess, till the 2000s, and it's just beautiful, beautiful work.
0: Yeah, and there's an exhibition of his. Now the
1: exhibition too. at the uh, the Blatton Museum and the Christian Green Gallery on the University of Texas yeah. campus. Yes.
0: Very nice. So yeah, if you if you're hearing this before either one of those events, please try to make it out.
1: Yeah, come out. Hear me, and turn into Chris Rock as I talk about my work at the Glen. <laughs> that's gonna be funny. They're not expecting that. Good luck. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. But our nerves get up. My nerves get up. Chris Rock, and then a lot of people turn into the Hulk. I turn into Chris Rock. All right. Yeah, very funny.
0: And tell it like it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I guess that's it.
1: All righty. Thanks, Scott.
0: Number two, and I recommend anyone that. Well, you probably already should have heard the first interview. Otherwise, you might have been a little lost. Right. (laughs) uh, Yeah, the first interview was great, and uh, people loved it, and I hope they love this one, too. And I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your passion and uh, your integrity and your work ethic and everything that you're trying to do. Make a difference. Yeah, thank you. Make a positive difference.
1: Yeah, and hopefully in maybe a couple years we can talk about my foundation. Maybe I've kicked it off, and we can talk about it and get people an idea how to apply. I think that's and,
0: awesome that you're yeah, doing that. I really. I
1: want yeah. to. I, I definitely want to. I'm. I'm putting aside, you know, nice chunk of money. Yeah. Um, so that it it works out. It, okay. It's it's so very important. So it is. look for that, guys. Yeah, Robert's everyone, Robert's Family uh, Foundation. Nice.
0: Yeah, everyone <laughs> needs a little leg up sometimes. Huh? Right. You know, I definitely like have. I definitely that. do.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Deborah. All right. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. One more thing before you go. If this episode or any other I've produced have helped you or added value to your life, please support the podcast so it can continue and grow. Just go to austinarttalk.com forward slash support. There you can find a link to my Patreon page and there is also a PayPal option and an Amazon affiliate link. I couldn't keep doing this without your help. All the best to you and take care.